This podcast is sponsored by Podbeam. Podbeam is the easiest way to create your own podcast. We use Podbeam to host the Classic Gaming Brothers. Download the free Podbeam podcast app to start, record, and publish your very own podcast in just minutes. Podbeam provides everything you need to run your podcast, and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. Download the free Podbeam app today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Head on over to Podbeam at www.podbeam.com and use the code PODCAST21 for your first 30 days of podcast hosting for free. Check it out. Everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. And we're the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. What another wonderful episode we have for you today. What a wonderful episode we have for you today. Yeah, repeating me is just... You're repeating me lame. is just kind of like... <laughs> I'll stop. It was lame when we were six. It'll be lame when we are now. 60. Yeah. It will be lame when we're 60, but you might have to repeat yourself anyway, because I might have forgotten. Because if my memory is any state now, when I'm 60, it, it's going to be bad. Though, when we're 60, and we're still doing Classic Gaming Brothers uh-huh. for nobody. Because there's no one left on Earth, because the Earth has died, and we're the only people left. Yeah, but like, what? what where, where would we, like, would do games that are out now, would they be Classic Games? Uh-huh. So we'll talk about, like cyberpunk 2077 in our that was a classic game that was a classic oh game. yeah it was we can talk about cyberpunk 2077 in the year 2077 oh we could unless one of us dies and then it would be the classic gaming brother <laughs> oh, depressing well so, anyway in the now in the present what yes. have you been recently playing so recently i've been playing fallout one the game that was uh, developed and published by interplay in 97 the original fallout game is a role-playing game where you play as a person leaving a vault because your vault is damaged so you need to replace it i started playing the game i i feel like i've put like i'm gonna say like an hour maybe nice. an hour and a half in yeah uh, I made it to the first village. Oh, good. You got past the rat. I got past the 20 rats, <laughs> and I killed them all for XP. And then I left, and I made it to the village. The first time I left the vault, I died, mostly because I ran into the craziest encounters and was killed by mantises, and I didn't save. And if you ever want to play Fallout 1, I recommend you save frequently, because if you don't save and you die you will be sad. So I I left, so I restarted my game, killed the 20 rats again, and left the vault 13 and went to 15. 
And on my way, I stopped at a village where I uh, recruited Ian. I actually recruited Ian and told him he could get a percentage of the loot instead of me paying him 100 caps. And then when he joined my party, I pickpocketed his 63 caps off of him. And I do not plan on giving him any share of the loot. So I recruited Ian and I also recruited 63 caps. And then I took Ian and we killed a bunch of rad scorpions, which involved me standing very far away and shooting at the rat scorpions and Ian actually killing them. I'm getting my my use out of Ian, my companion. And then I have done most of the missions in shady sand and I'm about to pack up and head over to Vault 15 to recover their devices, the water chip that I need to get from Vault 15. Fun. And that's what I've been uh, working on so far. I'm playing a small guns guy uh, who's a who's got some decent luck and gambling skills, and he's just making his way through the world today. And uh, then he goes back to Vault 13 when everybody knows his name. Anyway, what have uh, Zach? What have you been playing? Seth, recently I've been playing Mother 3. Ooh. Yeah, Mother 3 was developed by HAL Laboratory in a company called Brownie Brown, and it came out in 2006 in Japan only. I've been playing a fan translation that I have on a cartridge, which is pretty cool. Probably not legitimate, but still pretty cool. <laughs> I, I picked it up at Retro World Expo, by the way. Um, and a dealer who was selling some definitely legitimate cartridges. In the game, you play as a variety of playable characters, kind of like a, you're playing as like a family, and you are preventing a mysterious invading army from destroying the world. I am not very far in the game, but it is so far very entertaining. I really like the design of the characters in the game, and I like the design of the enemies. They're very unique, very colorful, very uh, cartoony. I just really like that aesthetic. It's an RPG game, so uh, you know I'm. Using Used to RPG games taking on a more uh, maybe anime style or maybe a more hyper-realistic style and always being a medieval setting. So it's nice to have a RPG game that's set in kind of a contemporary time period. You know, it takes place in the 2000s when it's set, or at least it's implied to be like modern times. And uh, that's it's, it's pretty good. I like it. Uh, one neat gameplay mechanic that I think is really cool is the ability to combo attacks. So the way you do that is when you are attacking an enemy, if you time your button press to the beat of the music, it will combo the attack. And I think that is just fantastic because some games will have like, you know, time the button press, but it's never to the beat of the music. I like the idea that it's like diegetic almost you know the music is part of the game yeah that's that is that's a cool way of doing it or doing like um like random button combinations that are like um sabin in final fantasy yes 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 or or i know um another square enix game super mario rpg had uh you had to like time the button press at the right time when your mario was jumping on an enemy it's a great game it is is uh paper mario paper mario is fantastic anyway we're talking about neither of those games but we are talking about something <laughs> made we are by talking about a nintendo game and something made by the creator of mario shigeru miyamoto so today we're talking about legend of zelda ocarina of time one of my favorite n64 games it's one of my favorite games like yeah like point blank (laughs) yeah yeah 
It's a fantastic game. Now for me, it's like pure on like nostalgia hit, booting up a a little bit of Ocarina. But Zach, why don't why don't we do this old school as it were, and uh, why don't you regale us with your memories of uh, Legends of Zelda: Ocarina of Time? Yeah, I mean, I don't remember the very first time I played it, but I believe it was when I got my GameCube. So when I got my GameCube, it came with a copy of the Legend of Zelda Collector's Disc. Um, I think it's called the Legend of Zelda Collector's Edition, and it's a a special disc that only came with the GameCube on initial release and it contained a copy of Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, and it had a copy of Zelda 1 and Zelda 2. So it came with two great games in Zelda 2. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it also had a 30-minute demo of Wind Waker, which I thought was very cool because uh, I did not own Wind Waker until I was much older. I actually did not own Wind Waker until last year. <laughs> or the year I don't before. know if I've actually ever beaten Wind Waker. Uh, it's, that's a very good game. That's a game for, that's a whole episode, I think, because that's a, that's a fantastic game. So Seth, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe we ever owned a copy of Ocarina of Time. I do remember probably renting it or playing it on the n64 but i don't remember when or how like i remember playing it at some point on the n64 before we got the gamecube but I did eventually get a copy for my N64. Um, I have a one of the gray cartridge copies, um, which I got much later in my life. So my first interaction with Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time was when it came out. I had some friends who had an N64, and they had a few games on it, of which was... Legends of Zelda Ocarina of Time. And we actually played through Legends of Zelda Ocarina of Time together as a group of friends. And it was that... I mean, it was it was an experience. And you'd occasionally, like, uh, you know, one person would play one segment, they would pass off, and then they'd play another segment. But we got through a majority of it as friends. So my next real big experience with Ocarina of Time was actually with Project N64, which is a emulator. And I played, I installed Project N64 and a number of ROMs on a USB flash drive, and I would play them on the computers in the computer lab. I don't particularly remember the reason why I wasn't playing them at home, maybe because I was just on campus. But yeah, so then I'd just be playing Ocarina of Time on the computer lab in my at college, and kids would come by. I, I was they were kids, I guess they were my colleagues and peers would come by and i i have people be like are you playing legend of zelda ocarina of time i'm like yeah they're like yeah you're you're pretty cool i'm like yeah i know i the conversation to go that way but they were they were impressed regardless of my ability to play ocarina of time on a campus work computer so yeah so i played a lot of it there and i think i actually beat it on emulation which to be fair back in the early 2000s getting a decent emulator to emulate n64 was tough and to get something that actually like replicated the analog stick correspond with the amount you push a button like your button in for your uh, arrow keys was like even tougher right because a lot of the emulators during that time didn't necessarily translate degrees of pushing with a button but project n64 did a pretty good job and i was able to beat ocarina of time and i majora's mask both on uh the n64 emulator 
but yeah so that's my um my memories experience with the legends of zelda it's uh it's a like i said uh ocarina of time is probably my favorite zelda game i i think i i like it i like it better than majora's mask and i think it's for me i i actually like it better than link's awakening or the the og zeldas one and two we definitely owned zelda 2 and that was a game i i've been thinking about going back and playing that game and actually trying to enjoy it <laughs> i like the way you word that like force yourself to enjoy it so to get into the the history of legend of zelda specifically ocarina of time ocarina of time began development around the time that super mario 64 and mario kart 64 were in development which was 1996 give or take development was done in-house at nintendo's entertainment analysis and development division and was planned to be on the nintendo 64 dd uh, now for those who may not know the nintendo 64 dd is an often forgotten disc peripheral for the nintendo 64 now the peripheral itself launched in japan in 1999 and was an early project for the n64 being originally announced in 1995 now the dd was a commercial failure for nintendo and ultimately was canceled in 2001 and we'll probably talk about specifically this disk drive for the nintendo 64 in a future episode today is not that episode it definitely is a topic we should cover because it sold real badly and we love things yeah that sell and we love yeah badly. anything that anything that's a commercial failure is great to talk about i i just i have an odd obsession for video game consoles that commercially fail now ocarina of time shifted development from the dd to the standard machine largely due to the growing size of the game files now while floppy disks certainly had their pot wait was the dd a floppy disk drive yes so if anyone was confused like <laughs> i was the dd was not a cd-rom drive but in fact was a floppy disk drive for the nintendo n64 proprietary floppy disk developed for the dd so it's their their own special size its own size. Well, being that Ocarina of Time was a 3D rendered game, it needed to have a quick read speed. Floppy disks may have the ability to store some data, but they are not able to deliver that data in a timely fashion. So continuously reading 500 motion captured character animations during gameplay was not something that the disk would be able to keep up with. There were some fears about restricting the game to a cartridge, as cartridges were slightly smaller than the floppy disks being developed for the DD. Initial plans had the game designed for a 16 megabyte cartridge which was the standard for the n64 and potentially the idea for the game in terms of gameplay was to structure it similar to super mario 64 in that ganondorf's castle was going to act as a hub world and link would jump into portraits to kind of teleport to different sections of the game mario 64 did that because of size restrictions it was easier to split the game apart using a hub world than to make one massive continuous uh, world. However, Ocarina of Time soon migrated from a 16 megabyte cartridge to a 32 megabyte cartridge, which would make it Nintendo's largest game 
at the time, uh, mostly because their games nowadays are way larger. <laughs> Shigeru Miyamoto, who was working as the principal director and producer of Super Mario 64, took on the role of supervising five different directors and also acted as producer for Ocarina of Time. Different parts of the game were handled by these different directors. So one would do animations, one would do music, one would do effects, that sort of thing. Each person got a different job. And this was actually a new strategy that Nintendo's EAD came up with um, for future games. They kind of were demoing it for Ocarina of Time. The team was unfamiliar with 3D games, which is not a surprising fact, considering that 3D games were a new concept in the 1990s. They really had to adjust a lot of what they knew from 2D development into the third dimension, which was certainly a task, but they were able to accomplish it overall. And it might have actually helped them because sometimes when you're thinking of things, even when it's supposed to be in a third dimension, putting it on a flat 2D landscape might help you envision the, the timeline that you're trying to create. The game had actually 122 people involved in production with some of those people being stunt performers being hired for Link's combat and his movement assets. Because again, there was motion capture being used for this game. Yeah, so that when Link tumbles, he tumbles realistically. I'm just trying to think of like what a Mario 64 style Ocarina of Time game would be like where you use like Ganondorf's castle as the hub just how would that game be like what if they just did the entire Mario 64 style of game and they just reskinned it with instead of Peach it was I'm Zelda sure someone's done of, that before and it probably instead of Mario's Link, is great yeah and has the little knife instead of jumping on baddies the little knife his, his little sword, his sword? <laughs> the, not his the first knife the first sword that he gets yeah, is a little is knife kind of a little, yeah a little dagger so back in early development uh, Miyamoto actually envisioned the game to be played in first person that plan shifted to third person when the idea of a child version of Link was introduced the team also created the often parodied fairy character Navi who was a friendly way to act as a targeting system for players and not Navi's name came from Fairy Navigation System. Yeah. So when they were developing Navi, apparently one of the original ideas was they were going to have literally just an arrow pointed at things when you targeted people, targeted enemies. Right. And they were like, that's ugly and kind of unfriendly. So they changed it to a, a character in the game who's actually plot relevant. Right. Yeah. No, Navi's great. I mean, and it's, it's all that. Uh, hey, listen. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a really smart way of doing it, and I I think that the hey listen part like it's iconic, and it may have been annoying when we were kids, but I I love it to today. Since a lot of the development of Ocarina of Time was concurrently happening with Super Mario sixty four, there were a lot of things that crossed over certain character designs can be seen as being heavily inspired by characters like mario and luigi images of mario characters actually appear in ocarina of time as easter eggs and there are some ideas that miyamoto had for ocarina that would uh, eventually get recycled into super mario 64 certain puzzles and and there was a lot of influence from uh various things so like they'd be trying to you know, spitball puzzle on the Super Mario team, and they'd be like, hey, you know, the Ocarina of Time team actually did this, mm. and this is what they did, and it's a great idea, and we know it works in our system because they already did it. Now, the game was also built on the same engine as Super Mario 64, though it was 
heavily modified so that it's pretty much considered a new engine, which you could see just in the camera controls alone, the differences between Super Mario 64 and Ocarina of Time. Uh, the cameras control uh, very differently. Yeah. Than- how they do in each other's games. Yeah, in Super Mario 64, for those who haven't played it, the camera is a bit more free-roaming. You can kind of, you get a little more freedom with how you can control it. It's one of the, you know, great things about that game. Ocarina is uh, a little more fixed in terms of how the camera functions. There is some movability. You can, I think, shift it a little bit. Definitely not as much as you can in Super Mario 64. There's actually even, I feel like there's also parts of Zelda that are, the camera's locked. Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, when you go into buildings, it's completely locked. You can't Yeah, it's it. locked. It's kind of very, like, Resident Evil type of uh, locked camera situation. Now, a big component to the game was the addition of cutscenes. There was a developer for the game, Takumi Kawage, um, who was the cutscene developer. He created the cutscenes that would be used in Ocarina of Time. And he wanted these cutscenes to feel like the players were always in control, even if they were watching the cutscene. To do this, it was decided that the cutscenes would be completely generated with real-time computing and not pre-rendered as full motion videos. So even on cartridge games, you would sometimes have full motion videos for uh, cutscenes. Usually it would be a heavily rendered, pre-done, essentially short movie. These cutscenes in Ocarina of Time are fully done in-engine and are occurring while the system is running. So a little bit of code tells it to play out this certain sequence and it's rendered in real time. This is actually really beneficial for the team, as what they were able to do was rapidly adjust the story as needed to focus more on the gameplay elements rather than have to wait for a new cutscene to be re-rendered every time they made a change. So they could they could plan out the cutscenes in advance and pretty much have them ready. And if something changed in the storyline or they couldn't add something in, they could just make that adjustment on the fly. Um, there was no no worries about, you know, having to send it back to the team and be like, hey, we need you to re-render this whole sequence. And then it would just take more time. It was all done on the fly. The music for the game, which in my opinion, I don't know about sets, is arguably some of the best music in video game history. It was composed by Koji Kondo, who had been in charge of the music for previous Legend of Zelda games. And he also did the music for a little title called Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> He's actually the one that gave us the classic characters and locations all had specific music associated with them which was kind of a unique use of a motif so uh, it's kind of a reverse of a type of motif that we see sometimes in movies where music is associated with a character when they enter the scene kind of the best example i think of this is star wars when darth vader enters the scene the music cuts to darth vader's music or when the emperor enters the scene the music cuts to the emperor this is a way of letting you know that this character is now in the room However, the way Legend of Zelda did it was in reverse. When you entered a scene, the music changed. And this was a way of telling you which locations you were in. So certain music was associated with certain locations, and the music would blend into the next location as you traveled around Hyrule, which is the land that you are in. New to the game was also the idea of learning music via the ocarina. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in the gameplay section. But this element of gameplay, learning the ocarina, was integral to the design of the game, with the ocarina being fully controlled through various buttons and analog stick movements on the N64 controller. 
That's right. I, I remember not being able to play a single song. Also, if you knew a song before you learned the song, you could play the song. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was also kind of neat because, yeah, it could be a little difficult to learn as a kid, but it, playing it now, it does feel very natural holding the N64 controller and playing a song in Ocarina of Time. It feels almost like the controller was designed that way, which I... It, it most likely was partially designed that way because a lot of these games are in development with the system. So um, it, it is pretty cool. For those who have never had the opportunity to play Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, stop this podcast and go play it. <laughs> but it's a quintessential Legend of Zelda game. Uh, you play as Link or, or however you would like to name. Yeah, you can name him Butts. The, the boy, you could name him Zelda. Yeah, you can name him Zelda. And Zelda meets Zelda, and he's like, hey, I'm Zelda. And Zelda's like, wow, same. Uh, so you play as Link, who's a young boy who lives in a mysterious village in the woods, populated by these, they're like elves? Uh, yeah, they're, they're uh, supposed to be fairy folk. They're not like full-on fairy, because they're not like Navi fairy. Yes. They're just they're, like... They're, they're, like they're like spirits pseudo- of the woods. They're, they're, they're children, but they're always children. <laughs> And they, yeah been oh that's right forever. except when but then link grows up but link's not a fairy child oh that's right he's, he was a boy that was Hyrule. left with them yeah, he was left with them yeah that's right yeah so spoiler alert if you haven't played <laughs> the game you play as a boy a, a human boy who is left with these fairy elves that live in the woods and they don't grow up but you do and then you go back to your village when you're an adult and they are all children you get navi at the beginning of the game but it's Im- heavily implied that link does not have a fairy and all of the children in the this village have a fairy because there's this god that looks after them called the great deku tree and the great deku tree like assigns you a fairy if you're a, a fairy person who lives in the woods and link just doesn't have one because he's not born of the woods he's just a human he's, yeah he's, he's literally just yeah just from hyrule so navi arrives at the very beginning to link and is like link i need you to go to the great deku tree now he needs to tell you something really important i'll come with you and as you walk around everyone's like oh you have a fairy now oh you're so special and they're like treating you like they're treating you with so like so happy but also like kind of condescending like oh the the boy's got the fairy now so navi's essentially like the Deku tree's messenger. So Navi's like, hey, yo, this this big old tree wants to talk to you. So then you go talk to this big old tree and you have to go into his mouth. <laughs> yeah, he's and, like, I am, in, I am dying. Get inside my mouth. <laughs> yes, he's like, he's like, I'm cursed and dying. You need to Climb on fight in. this curse. <laughs> so he opens his mouth and then you enter in your first dungeon, which is inside the tree. And then you leave and the Deku tree is like, okay, you need to go find Princess Zelda and warn her that there's an evil coming. And then he promptly dies. <laughs> As you do. And Navi, I guess, is just like, well, my boss just died. So I guess I'm working for you. And just hangs out with you for the rest of the game. Where, I mean, Navi could have been like, all right, I'm done. Like, peace out. Yeah, and just left. My contract like, has I got been you complete. The- <laughs> Yeah, my I got you the message and now I'm done. But nope, Navi hangs out with you. So then you're just a human with a, a fairy from the woods. And you got your message in your mission from a, a dead tree. And that mission is to go find Princess Zelda, which you go and do this. And throughout the way, uh, you encounter various challenges along the way. Uh, you have to help Gorons and the fish people. Zora. What are the fish people called? Zora, yeah. The Gorons and the Zoras with their various rock and water problems <laughs> you have to go to a farm and eventually get a horse uh and drink a lot of milk yep. at the lan lan ranch lan lan and lan lan ranch and you have to go to hyrule itself and break a lot of pots 
as you do in Legend of Zelda. And there is various temples. They are generally themed. There's like a fire temple and a water temple and an earth temple. And you have to wear different outfits when you go into them, like a red suit or a blue suit so that you're immune to fire or resistant to fire and you can swim underwater. So after you have visited the Gorons and dealt with their fire and rock problems, and after you visited the Zora and dealt with their ice and water problems, and after you go to the forest and you hang out with the girl that is kind of implied to be your love interest. Sora, isn't it? Saria. It's S-A-I-R-A, I think. Um, and then you have to go find her. You have to go to like the forest temple and you have to fight Shadow Ganon. Uh, he's like a weird horseman. Anyway, you collect these gems and you bring them to this place called the Temple of Time, which looks like a church. And you unlock the doors to the Temple of Time. You go inside and you find the Master Sword sitting on its pedestal. Then you pull the Master Sword. And when you pull it, suddenly you go to the future <laughs> you become an adult yeah you become an adult and then you can hold the master sword because you're a tall person yes and and these like ancient sages show up and they're like hey uh you're going to the future now and then you leave and the world is destroyed and ganondorf who has now become ganon this massive pig monster has taken over the entire land now the game plays as a third person action adventure game uh frequently you engage in real-time combat sequences so while there might be some kind of rpg elements it's not like an rpg turn-based game you know you are fighting things as they fight you and you are fighting against various monsters and other enemies um some monsters include deku shrubs which pop out of the ground and shoot uh, like nuts at you and then there's um deku sticks yeah and then you collect the deku sticks um and then there are skulltulas which look like spiders that are very creepy looking um and then there is the weird skeleton bone creatures that appear at night and they they also are terrifying and along the way you learn magic through the ocarina um, which when you play certain songs you could do things like change the weather change the time of day fast travel to a specific temple and more uh, it really gives you a whole bunch of different abilities you could also ride a horse as seth mentioned and that's pretty awesome it's true. Uh, what is the horse's name? Epona. Epona, yeah. And Epona has a song and you play it and Epona comes to you. And Link also has a thing for the girl who runs Lon Lon Ranch. Yeah, Link is a, he's a, he's a, he's a guy who... Is, and he's just, got a thing for Zelda. Uh, yeah, Link just has a lot of girlfriends. Got a lot of girlfriends. But he's a popular fellow. Yeah, for a guy who doesn't say a word. No, he doesn't. He's like the guy from Grand Theft Auto 3. To do the numbers, the game released in November of 1998 and was quickly critically acclaimed. So during the lead-up to the game being released, a half a million pre-orders were placed in the United States alone, and more than one million copies sold in less than a week. A total of 2.5 million copies sold by the end of 1998, which, since most games release in quarter four, especially in the 90s, was only 39 days after the release of the game <laughs> yeah. was the end of 1998, and 2.5 million copies were sold. The game would go on to gross $150 million in the United States, which equated to today's money is $251 million. And it topped any Hollywood film that was released in the last six weeks of 1998. And in Japan, the game sold 820,000 copies in 1998. So in total, 7.6 million copies would be sold in the game's lifetime. And that's just 7.6 million Nintendo 64 copies shipped. That's 
not like including remasters or all the other additional games that have been sold on top of that. So because we know for a fact that it sold, it did better than any movie that, that was released in the last six weeks or so. Here are just some movies that came out in the last six weeks of 1998. A Bug's Life, the remake of Psycho, Shakespeare in Love, Star Trek Insurrection, You've Got Mail, Mighty Joe Young, Patch Adams, and The Prince of Egypt. Now, I think this is part of the thing where people are being like, oh yeah, video games, that's an actual market. (laughs) Now, Ocarina of Time would go on to win numerous awards, including Game of the Year, Console Adventure of the Year, Console Role-Playing Game of the Year, Outstanding Achievement in Software Engineering, and it had a near-perfect score from nine of the publications of the 90s. Now, Ocarina of Time became a staple to console adventure game fans. It was ported to the GameCube with the Legend of Zelda Collector's Edition, which was the copy that I had, as well as the slightly more hard-to-find copy that was Ocarina of Time and Ocarina of Time Master Quest for the GameCube. This was unique to the GameCube, the Master Quest. It's a harder version of Ocarina of Time with remixed levels, various other difficulties added, and just is like kind of like, if you think you're an expert of Ocarina of Time, try this hard version instead. The game was, re- the game was released on the Wii Virtual Console, and a five-minute demo was also included in the release of Super Smash Bros. Brawl. In 2011, Nintendo released a 3DS enhanced port of the game, which featured updated models, slightly updated levels, touchscreen support, and gyroscope controls. It's kind of cool. There was also a direct sequel, and that was called Majora's Mask, which came out in 2000. And we're going to get to that in the next episode. Bum, bum, bum. And that's Ocarina of Time. Or as I like to call it sometimes, Ocarina of Time. I'll probably miss some of those edits when I'm doing this episode. So if I call it either one... Oopsies. So we're going to go on to our buy, wait, pass segment where we talk about games that we are excited to buy, wait, or pass on. And I'm going to go first. And the game that I'm excited about buying, waiting, or passing on today is Final Fantasy VI, the remastered version that is getting released as part of the Pixel Remaster release on Steam. I love Final Fantasy VI. I think I've talked a lot about Final Fantasy VI. I think when Mike was on, I talked a lot about Final Fantasy VI and my love of Final Fantasy VI. So if you want to go back to that episode 45, when we had uh, the great Mike Case on, we talked about JRPGs, which Final Fantasy VI is. So what they're doing with uh, Final Fantasy VI is they're remodeling the 2D sprite and the, the whole game. And it's going to be a lot sharper and it's going to be a different experience with it. And I'm excited to play a remastered Final Fantasy VI. It's not going to be like remastered like they did with Seven, where they change the entire game it's not gonna be like that it's just gonna be cleaned up i'm a big fan of final fantasy 6 it's like i said it's one of my favorite final fantasies and so hopefully it's actually gets released for the switch i will be excited to play it on the switch remastered uh though i'll probably pick it up on steam so i'll put it down as a buy nice Zach, what about you the game that I am excited about by waiting or passing on is Evil Dead, the game. It's being developed by Saber Interactive, and it's due out February 2022. Evil Dead, the game, is a cooperative game with PvP mechanics. Uh, you play as characters from the Evil Dead movies, as well as characters from Ash vs. the Evil Dead, the TV series. And you fight monsters, 
and you kill monsters and you use guns and chainsaws and other weapons it looks very fun it looks very violent it looks very gory i like evil dead i I like the original evil dead movie and uh, i've seen evil dead 2 both are very good movies i've also seen the remake i haven't seen army of darkness though very strange anyway i'm a fan of the evil dead franchise probably give this game away just because i kind of want to see what exactly their plan is i i so my thing is it looks to me from the gameplay that i've seen of the like very brief snippet i think we saw at e3 that it reminded me a lot of dead by daylight which is a good game but i don't really want there to just be clones of dead by daylight but with like evil dead characters so i kind of want to see what their plan is for this to make it unique and if they can impress me when it comes out and if it gets some positive scores yeah i'll pick it up um i'll probably try to get a copy or two so that i can play it with people because it's cooperative and i don't like to play games cooperatively with people i do not know that is my least favorite experience anyway that's going to be our episode for today so i'm going to tell you all about how you can listen to us contact us and support us let's do this thing let's say that you want to listen to us you're already listening to us check mark if you want to tell people how to listen to us i think that's how we should be saying it but we don't because we like to be consistent or weird or i don't know Anyway, if you want to tell people how to listen to us, you can let them know that we are available on all the major podcasting applications out there. We're available on like iTunes, we're available on Amazon, we're available on Google's podcasting application. They have one, right? We're just available on everything. So if there's something we're not available on, let us know. And the way you can let us know is by emailing us. You can email us at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com or classicgamingbrothers at classicgamingbrothers.com. Get in touch with us let us know anything um, that you want to let us know you know if you liked this episode uh, or if you didn't like this episode if you want to hear more about Zelda games in particular maybe you want to hear us do an episode on Wind Waker you know send us an email let us know and uh, we will get to it now another way you can contact us is you can reach out to us through our website classicgamingbrothers.com we have a contact form on the website all you have to do is fill out that contact form and it will go straight to our inbox so we will read it Um, you can also reach out to us through our various social media networks so we have a facebook an instagram and a twitter we also have a twitch our facebook and instagram are classic gaming brothers our twitch is twitch.tv forward slash classic gaming brothers and our twitter is cg brothers pod we also have a youtube also under the name classic gaming brothers we are available on everything everywhere follow us subscribe like ring bells do all those things in order to support us you're supporting us just by listening but you can tell three friends and that's a great way to support us because it gets people in their ears and that's the important part about being a podcast is people have to listen to us so if you can get us into people's ears that's the way to do it now you can also support us by liking and subscribing and doing all those things you can rate us on itunes and leave us a review we'd really appreciate that you can also ring bells do all the anything that you need to do to let people know that you like this podcast and you want people to listen to this podcast uh lastly we do have some shirts available on our website if you're interested in any merchandise don't feel obligated to buy anything we're always going to put out episodes no matter what so enjoy and i think that's everything unless i'm forgetting something don't play games like my brother oh yes i forgot about that don't play games like my brother i've been seth and i've been zach and we've been the classic gaming brothers we have been the classic gaming brothers that's <laughs> right, right.